Welcome to Impact Unicorns, the podcast where you meet inspirational entrepreneurs building the next generation of transformative companies. And now, here is your host, Dr. Injernil Ghosh, award-winning author, investor, and advisor to global leaders. Andre, it's terrific to have you on the show. Thank you, Injernil. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Andre, I'm delighted to be talking about Novihum on today's show. It's an extremely exciting company, bringing health back to agricultural soil around the world um, and has amazing carbon sequestration uh, potential as well. Um, you know, agriculture and regenerative agriculture is something that's a recurring theme on this show. And we actually had a, one of our common friends, Detlef Schoen, who you know well. Um, mm. on the show a few episodes ago, setting the scene for regenerative agriculture and the potential that it holds. Yes. So I'm, I'm delighted that we can you know, build on that and talk about uh, the amazing um, soil enhancing uh, product that you have, Novihume, which is a real uh, soil stimulant and leads to uh, more crop productivity, uh, higher nutrition content crops, which I think without even explaining it in, in you know, great detail, is obvious to everyone, you know, holds the potential for great impact in the world. So t- terrific to have you on the show and I'm very excited about our conversation. Thank you. It is indeed, as, as you say, we, 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 we say usually it's instant fertility when you're using the product. Yeah? And, and this is really a core topic that really drives us here in the company and, and, and myself personally in, in bringing this into, into the markets and, and for the future of, of, of mankind. Yeah. Fabulous. Andre, can we start by maybe t- uh, giving the listeners a, a, a thumbnail tour of your career and how you got to this stage of um, leading this very exciting company? Because every entrepreneur's story is different. Most people don't wake up and you know, drop out of the crib and become an entrepreneur or actually the, don't start a business from, from their garage. They often, often have um, long experienced careers, distinguished careers, um, and come to entrepreneurship with, with a much fuller toolkit. And this is the mold of your story, I think. So tell us a little bit about um, uh, your journey so far. Sure, no, no. this is really a process. I mean, it's, it's not, as you say, you don't fall from the bed and you are uh, an entrepreneur. Of course, you, you have to have some kind of uh, fire in your belly and, and wish to do things and change things, which, which I do have, fortunately. I, I come from a family of, of immigrants. Uh, my, my, my father immigrated from Portugal to Brazil in the 60s, uh, made a family there. We moved back from Brazil to Portugal. And, and this already gives you a sense of... of um, the kind of environment I grew up. I mean, they were small entrepreneurs, and, and in a sense, you you see this, and and you learn uh, a lot on those on those stages. And as as I uh, grew up, I decided um, against all odds to study physics because for some reason I loved it, and I love it. <laughs> and 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 from there, started a career that was it's, you could call more a corporate type career. Here in Germany, I mean, went to a, a BASF, which is a chemical company, and, and grew there from, from a, a scientist, as, as a trained scientist, into somebody who's uh, in business. And at some stage, 
as, as I say, I got the startup virus. I was doing um, investments for BASF in, 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 in startups. And at some point I said, you know what, I, I, I really want one day to try this, but knowing what I know, it has to be the right one. And there were a lot of uh, topics coming in. I mean, what type of problems are the startup solving, which stage the startup is and so on. And there was a, a chance to, to join OB Home as a CEO, my predecessor uh, entered retirement age. That's another point that I always highlight people. You can start anytime. I mean, I know many, many entrepreneurs that started after they were in their 50s and, and very successful. And therefore, um, there was an opening here, chance, and you know, after a, a, a good discussion at home to see, okay, do I leave my cozy job or not? I mean, we, uh, with, with family support, we just moved in and it's all in. Well, that is quite a transition, um, but in some ways, quite a managed transition. So you have your great corporate role, one of the biggest chemical companies in the world, BASF. Um, you move from operations into the investing role. Mm -hmm. So you begin to get a view into the world of entrepreneurs by investing in them, probably getting a very good sense of what it takes to be successful uh, in terms of the business, but also as a, uh, as a venture leader, what it takes to be um a good entrepreneur. And then you almost cherry pick your way into you know, the best of the options that you, you see in front of you. Um, but nevertheless, there's still that challenge, that nervous you know, step off what might seem like a steep cliff into taking the seat as a, as a venture CEO. Um, and like you said, important discussions to have with your family, um, given the, the change in the risk profile of your career. Tell us a little bit more about how you went about making the, 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 you know, that important you know, first step into entrepreneurship. Sure. The, the, the most important thing that one has to realize, and I realized also in that phase, is that no matter how hard you do due diligence on the company, no matter how hard you want to stand the this market and so on, you always get surprises when you actually take the step. So if you are prepared for that, and it happened, of course, I mean, when I came here, there were a few surprises. I did a very strong due diligence, if you will, in the company. I, I, I literally used some of the techniques that we use to do due diligence in startups. I used that in, in, in doing my due diligence, should I join OB Home or not. But I think that in the end, what comes through is that you have to have a, a burning belief, desire, whatever you want to call this, to bring something into the market that you think is really gonna change the game. Yeah, and that, that was really and is, in fact, the driver uh, to, to, to join OEM. Yeah, I, I, I started doing some reading on soils, what's going on in the soils in the world and so on. And, and I, I, I really got very concerned. And, and I got especially concerned because I, I didn't see back then enough movement, enough companies, enough ideas uh, that were really addressing this. And, and so that, that really lit the fire to my belly. And, and, and uh, that's, that's how I did this transition. And again, you, you have to be prepared for a lot of surprises. You have to be prepared to go through uh, um, very tough times yeah, when we, sleepless nights and, and, and people complaining, investors complaining, everybody complaining. I mean, you have to be prepared for that. That's clear. Yeah? 
Um, however, if, if you have a clear uh, mindset and mission of what you want to do as an entrepreneur, it's it's uh, it's the most rewarding thing you can do. You know? I, I I look back and I definitely do not regret. The passion and the conviction you need to have yeah. to lead a company that has the potential to change the world, you know, needs to be taken not lightly, right? Because if you want to change the world, you actually have to change a lot of people's hearts and minds. And so the amount of persistence and yes. persuasion that is required to talk to this, the people in the supply chain, the regulators, the, in, uh, the, the investors, to build that momentum for change, uh, which isn't necessary for starting any business, but mm -hmm. is kind of a unique feature of starting impact businesses because they, by definition, to have impact, you need to change the system to some degree. Yeah. Um, did you go into this uh, venture with your eyes wide open about how big that task would be? And what have you learned so far in terms of how to make that change a reality? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I knew or at least I had an idea of what was coming. If you know perfectly everything that is coming, you probably get too scared. <laughs> so it's good that sometimes a little bit of ignorance also is, is, is in the mix. Um, but apart from that, it, it is one thing that um, if, if you have this sense of mission and you understand this, as you put it very nicely, I mean, it's, it's, it's about impact. It's about, it's about moving the needle. Yeah, It's not about oh, now I have this business and I'm going to get a, a few million to the side and, 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 and now I can have my, my uh, Bentley to drive around. Okay, fine. I mean, it's all very legitimate and, and people can do this. Um, and, and people do this very successfully. But that's not what my driver is in this case. Um, I think if, if people are not concerned or outright scared about what's happening with, with climate change, then I, I, I would be, uh, let's say, surprised <laughs> with people that are not uh, seeing what's going on. I mean, I, I, I remember talking to my uh, father before he passed away some time ago, and, and I was asking, when, you're, when you were a child in, in Portugal, how was the weather? Just to have a feeling. I mean, we, we can look all the data you want, right? But I mean, how was the weather back then? And, and it was completely different from today. They even had snow in the areas where, where he used to live. They didn't have this anymore. Um, if you ask the same thing here to, to my parents-in-law here in Germany, you get very similar answers as well. And you see what's happening with, with the weather and all that. So we need to find solutions. And, and there is a, a, a whole spectrum of solutions that we need to find to leave a, a, a world behind us that is not worse than what we found. We all know that climate change is going on for a long time, since the 70s, this is being discussed. Now we are really seeing the first real effects that you can sense um, in, 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 in everyday's life. I mean, you probably saw this news, uh, I think came on BBC yesterday, that we have now doubled the number of days with more than 50 Celsius uh, per year. So we're talking, I think, 30 or 40 days a year in specific places of the world where they have temperatures higher than 50 Celsius. I mean, this is, this is scary. And so we, we have to move, we have to do stuff. And this is um, what I think has to be also behind uh, the drive of an impact entrepreneur. And according to the latest IPCC, IPCC report, it went on to underline what we already knew, which is that we have a very short amount of time 
yeah, to make a very big change in uh, the decarbonization of the planet. And give us a recap as to why regenerative agriculture and the soil is potentially one of the one big things that we could do to make a significant impact in, in reducing uh, atmospheric carbon. Sure. Indra, it's a little bit like terraforming, if you will. If you remember in the 70s and 80s, we had this, this, this sci-fi look into what we we're going to do in Mars and all that. I mean, they, they used to call it terraforming. And in a sense, we have to start doing terraforming in our own planet. Yeah. So we, we do have, even if you would turn off today, all CO2 emission in the world, it's, it's quite clear that we already have too much CO2 in the atmosphere. Now, you have to extract the CO2 somehow. We have to reduce it from where it is today to, um, to, to, to levels that are, let's say, less uh, problematic in terms of, of, greenhouse, of greenhouse effect and so on. And, and to do that, you have to do it at a planetary scale. And there are very few things that come to my mind that uh, are as planetary as agriculture. Because, I mean, you have agriculture everywhere. And by nature, agriculture does fix CO2, if done right, does fix CO2 in, in the equivalent in the soil. And therefore, uh, regenerative agriculture, agriculture that is on scale taking uh, uh, carbon seriously fixed long term in the soil, can have, can move the, need, move the needle and, and have a planetary impact. You know? And the, the idea behind it is that the way we've been doing conventional farming for decades now, uh, with basically tilling the soil, um, which tends to erode soil structure, planting the same crop every year, which tends to take out the same nutrients, um, not putting enough uh, ca uh, carbon organic content back into the soil, actually ends up reducing the amount of carbon sequestered in the soil in good healthy soil and on top of that you have the degrading effects potentially of, of fertilizers as well which uh, end up being a zero-sum game because you end up getting you know declining uh, returns from adding more fertilizer and it's the only way to, to, to increase productivity of basically unhealthy soils but up, up, after a point adding more fertilizer doesn't really help you very much so you get into this destructive cycle and whereas agriculture could be this form of natural direct air capture of carbon dioxide, it ends up actually releasing carbon that's already trapped in the soil if done badly. So regenerative agriculture, like you say, is a planetary uh, approach to getting back to the levels of carbon that we had in the soil initially before we started to degrade it um, through um, irresponsible um, sort of conventional agriculture. And novihum is a catalyst, it seems, a soil uh, stimulant, a soil uh, supplement, if I can call it that, that can even enhance that process of soil regeneration and put more carbon back into the soil than was there initially. So tell us a little bit about what novihum is and how it can have this startling impact. So one thing that I would like to uh, say is that Agriculture per se, and the fact that we're using, uh, start using uh, mineral fertilizer and so on, it, it, it saved us from, from hunger and all that, for sure, over the history in the grand scheme of things, but at the cost of something that over the years became clear, and that the cost of soil health. 
Yeah. So, yes, we were able to, to feed the world and, and, and do it in a way that is, is highly industrialized. But on the other hand, what happened is that the uh, soil health suffered and, and we are now beginning to pay uh, with that. Why that's the case? Because we see, for instance, that about 300 million hectares in the world today, and that's about 20% of, of the total agricultural land, uh, being used today is already suffering of, of diminished uh, fertilization. We are losing uh, arable land by about 10 million hectares or 12 million hectares per year um, just for because the topsoil cannot hold itself because carbon that is like the glue in that soil, that soil of that soil is not there anymore. So there are really issues there. And what Novi Hum does is that we pick up uh, what we call ancient carbon, so fossilized uh, raw material that we use, we do chemistry on it to revive it. And, and by doing so, what we have in the end is a product that is chemically like um, uh, what you call in English stable humus. Um, the stable humus is a very special fraction of, of, of the humic matter, of the organic matter in soil, and, and has two effects. I mean, it, in itself, organic matter that enriches the soil, but also catalyzes the life in the soil so that you have even more production of, of organic matter in the soil. So it really becomes a catalyst for life and, and organic matter fixation. And in the end, what we can show is that there is a net effect that is very positive of picking carbon in the soil and bringing soil back to life, if you will. So really keep starting. So this is really interesting. So the, the fossilized matter you're talking about is lignite, which is brown mm -hmm. coal, right? Yes. And at a time when we're trying to shut down coal production because it's used for energy uh, and releases carbon dioxide into the soil, here's a, a fascinating use of, of that lignite that could keep some of those mines going potentially, um, but now using it in a much more constructive way. So yeah. you're taking that carbon matter, you're, you're enhancing it, you're creating a, a soil stimulant which increases the amount of organic content of the soil, which is good from the point of view of the nutrition that the soil can provide the crops. But by definition, because you've got more organic matter that is composed of carbon, which ultimately is coming from the atmosphere. So you're sequestering carbon back into the soil and making the soil richer, solving two problems at once, and also a third, which comes back to the, the whole idea of an impact business, is that this is good for business, presumably, because now you're actually finding a way to increase uh, crop yield and the nutritional content of food without having to use um, potentially damaging fertilizers or at least less of them. So, I mean, this is a real incredible trifecta of, uh, of, of value. Absolutely, and, and um, we have the data showing exactly the effect that you can use less fertilizer, you increase the quality of the crop, you, you have more sellable uh, crop when you're using this. It's, it's all coming down to the fact that you're increasing significantly soil health. Yeah? So, and, and, and so this all comes together. So not only you're fixing the carbon in the soil and increasing the health of the soil, by using less fertilizer, you're also emitting less CO2 because you don't have to use so much of, of, of the NPK and so on, not to transport it and so on and so forth. So there are several effects coming together, not only making the farmer uh, being able to produce more produce, more crops, 
but also producing higher quality, which obviously in the end uh, comes down to the bottom line. So yes, the product per se is, is great for the environment, but also is great for business. Yeah. And these aren't just idle claims. You've been doing scientific testing on this for over a decade, I think. So maybe you could walk us through a little bit of the, the scientific evidence uh, behind the product. Yes, that's one of my favorite parts in Drenil because really, I mean, given my background, of course, but not only, is really the fact that as, as you are aware, in agriculture, there is a lot of people claiming a lot of things that uh, often, unfortunately, not really right. So we did a very rigorous program of looking into what happens to the yield, what happens in the soil. So we, we, we have, I mean, north of 800 single individual data points looking into different aspects. So it's really, it's a huge program that we have in front of us. And using also pretty sophisticated analysis methods, we work with a university, with a professional university to really extract um, the data, uh, really the, the information from the data that we have and all that. So what you can say really for sure is that you have on a, a meta level, meta analysis, you have at least 10% yield increase on top of anything that you're doing as a farmer, meaning you're a farmer and you are already pushing everything to the limit and you get still 10% on top of it, at least. Several farmers reporting back 20, 30%. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. Uh, and, and the other thing that we really see a lot is that you have a higher availability of some of the nutrients in the soil. And that gets reflected also in the plant. For instance, we see this, uh, this data coming from Spain, for instance, that you see uh, uh, iron. There is a, a significant amount of iron that the, the plants are able to extract and they are exposed to Novi Home. Iron is important for photosynthesis, which is obviously important for biomass creation and all that. So you really see that it's, in the end, you have more yield because you have more availability of, of nutrients. Now you see also that there is a stimulation of mycorrhiza. I mean, significant. I mean, the mycorrhiza uh, population explodes when when ovium is, is applied. So you have all that, and that's not magic. It's science, hardcore science, in the data that we collected, to, so that we can make these kind of claims and also be able to tell our farmers where to use it best, you know, how to use it best, which crop, which soils, and so on. And my understanding is that you've been running side-by-side -side control experiments on the same farm, same soil, literally two different parts of the field for over a decade to prove everything that you just said. Yes. Extraordinary. If you're enjoying this episode of Impact Unicorns, don't forget to visit us on the Apple Podcast mobile app or iTunes and leave a rating and review. Your feedback is essential to help us bring the most relevant impact venture stories to the show. The video version of the show can be found on YouTube by searching under Impact Unicorns. Please like, subscribe and hit the bell to receive notifications of new shows. One of the questions about regenerative farming is that, you know, maybe you don't get the economic output if you... Uh, farm in a regenerative way versus a conventional way. But what you're saying is that you're almost turning that on its head, that um, if you use Novihume, you can get some sort of an impact, even if you're not changing anything else. But if you combine that with the change of farming practices with crop rotation, rather than losing productivity or yield, you can keep it the same or increase it. Is that, is that a fair statement? That is absolutely right. And, and I can even tell you that 
we have seen over and over the effect that Novihum reinforces any effect that you have in crop rotation. It, 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 it enhances that significantly. And we have also, again, data, as, as, as you already uh, realized. Um, so that, that is really the way, in our opinion, that's why we see ourselves very much at the core of the uh, regenerative agriculture movement, because we see here the, the chance to make it, uh, uh, to give kind of a, an insurance, if you will, for anybody who is going in that direction. Here's a product that will really help enhance your soil, and will help enhance your, your bottom line in the end of the day. You don't have to depend on the common practice that we have today. There are uh, long-term really um, making soils worse. Yeah. Well, even with this data, which is very persuasive, you still have to go and change the hearts and minds of the customers and the distributors. So focusing on that part of the business, what's been your experience so far as to how the industry is beginning to react to this new opportunity. Yeah, we see more and more farmers coming to us and in, in, in because they have this, this concern on their soil, there is indeed a lot of people coming back to us on that. Farmers see themselves correctly as the stewards of the land. And therefore, in our opinion also, I mean, anything that we're doing in this direction uh, is always done together with the farmers. Yeah. Um, what, what is, it doesn't take away the reality of life that they have to pay their bills and, 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 and everything else. So of course there is a, a element of trial, an element of, of persuasion, an element of working with lead farmers that take the, the leap of faith and see, okay, let's, let's see what this product does. So this has been the work that we have been doing the last few years and, and with more and more success, we have more and more, not only farmers, but now also distributors that are working with us in, 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 in taking the product and bringing this to their farms to create the kind of, of depth that we want to have as a company. And are there any regions of the world where you see evidence that the regenerative agriculture movement is taking off uh, maybe faster than others? And does that map to where your lead customers are? Yeah, I, I think that at this stage, we see um, quite a bit of interest in the United States. There is uh, quite clearly uh, more often in the discussions this, this point of, of regenerative agriculture. Um, we see also here in Europe, uh, we, we, we see this also in Germany, we see every now and then people from France also asking questions on this, Spain. Now we have to be a little bit careful on, on, on our statistics of that because we, in a sense, we live in a little bit of a bubble, right? Because the people that are drawn to us and we, the people that we're talking to, they, will have naturally a certain affinity to do this type of agriculture. Yeah? So um, I don't want to say that this is evidence that is very strong, but I mean, clearly there is a, a higher interest, if you will, in a higher openness on the farmer side today than five years ago to use uh, our product. Yeah. And is there any investment required by the farmer to start using Novihum and start more regenerative practices? Uh, presumably, you know, they'd need to do a, a pilot to make sure that it works for them. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, in cash-strapped farms, you know, one of the big issues is, do you have the ability to invest to, to change anything? So what, is your, what are you asking the farmer to do? And, mm -hmm. and how much does it cost them? Essentially, it will depend very much on the crop. I mean, if you're talking about cash crops, it's, it's much easier for the farmer than if you're talking 
potato or corn, you know, the way we position the product and the way that we know that the product works, um, it's also viable for those cash strap farms because they are not, they will not need on a hectare basis a budget that's higher than what they would use usually for fertilizers as well. Okay. Um, and, and the beauty of the product is that because of its stability, if you're putting this year 100 kilograms per hectare, let's say, or 200 kilos per hectare of this product, you're doing this every year, you are actually accumulating the product. So after five years, years you have a ton or two tons of the product that is still working in the ground now when we start with the farmer and make our recommendations for this crop and soil we give them what we would call the, the minimum amount that they have to put in order to see already good effect in because we are very conscious that um, farmers with their cash strap want to make sure that they have from day one uh, something back from the product, not have to wait for a year or two or three before they actually see uh, uh, the product paying for itself. We do this from day one and we, we adjust our recommendations to the farmers depending on which crops they have, which top, type of soils they have, so that it fits their budget on the one hand, knowing that they will be, as they are doing this on a, on a regular basis, they'll be accumulating this good stuff in the soil um, over time. Right. So the farmer conceivably could almost replace their fertilizer cost over time with an investment in Novihume. And I think a really important point is this cumulative effect. It's not you put the fertilizer in, it gets washed away, and you do it again the next year, then you're back to square one, maybe even negative with some soil erosion. You're actually building this up year by year. So it's an annual investment over a period of time to upgrade you know, the soil. Um, and give you cumulative benefits um, in terms of productivity. Exactly. I couldn't put it better. It's exactly that you are over time, and I mean, we, we uh, have some estimates, but I mean, after five or, or seven or eight years, you, you might be even able to skip some years of, of, of fertilization because you will have a soil that will be retaining and putting this uh, so much more uh, availability for the, for the fertilizer, for the plant of the nutrients, that uh, you might be able to even skip years. Yeah? Now, we would not recommend that from day one. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you have to make a transition. And depends, of course, also on how much of the material do you put in the soil. Also depends on your objective. For instance, I'm thinking of a, a, a tomato producer we have in Spain. Um, he, he essentially put two tons of Novihum in, in, in the soil per hectare. Yeah? That's way beyond what we have in having uh, been um, recommending. But he's happy and he's getting like 25% more yield. And he says, I'm good with it. I mean, I, I don't want to change this. I'm just keep doing this. It's okay, good. Yeah. So it, it's very flexible. That's, that's the beauty of it. Yeah? Because it just persistent, remains in the soil, it builds up. Now, of course, if you are able to prove that you're sequestering significant amounts of carbon, there is potentially a, a big upside to the farmer, and maybe some of it flows through to you as well, which we can discuss, from carbon credits. So tell us about how that may play into this as a bit of a wild card to maybe transform farming or regenerative farming into you know, an extraordinarily profitable business because it has a, 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 a function which may soon have a, a a measurable value associated with it in terms of the price of carbon. 
Yes, it, it is um, one of our favorite topics because we have really solid data showing that you have carbon accumulation, net carbon accumulation in, in two specific trials that we have here in Germany, long-term trials, really very long-term trials. So that's, that's why we are really very excited about this. We see this also the increase in organic matter in other farms. And so, so there is a, a whole um, element of, of, of data telling us, screaming at us. I mean, this is begging to have uh, carbon credits done. And so we have been in the last few months in, in contact with a number of experts in this area. And what we see really is that two things. Now, coming from the entrepreneur side, it is a, a very complex area, as I realized over time. And, and so it, it's a nascent area that we want to be part of. And absolutely, if this is something that is not only helping the environment, but also bringing to our farmers and, and to the company an extra revenue that is coupled with this, this great um, environmental um, effect, you know, which is which is the fixing of the carbon, then it's really uh, a great thing and an opportunity that will be uh, happening uh, in, in, in the midterm for us. I and mean, we're right now um, starting the process, which is pretty complex, of, of getting carbon certification. Yeah. Um, one thing that is really important also that uh, the, 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 the listeners understand, I mean, it's not enough just to use Novi Home in the soil and, 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 and then that's it. I mean, you have to have the Novi Home in a context where plants will be growing and, and all that. So that's, that I think it's clear. And, and by doing so, uh, we think that in, in the midterm, in midterm, I'm talking maybe a year or two, we'll begin to have um, hard, hard um, carbon credits that will be issued uh, together with every kilogram of the that's sold. So explain how the business model works around the carbon credits. Uh, how are they issued? How are they traded? Who gets the monetary benefit? Is it the farmer? Is it you? Some combination? It's all in flux right now. So, I mean, this is, this is really up for discussion. Um, we can imagine different models. I mean, we can imagine exactly the first model, which is, okay, you, 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 you're selling the product, you are um, giving the, the, the carbon credits to the farmer as, as part of a discount, yeah? And, and so you retain the carbon credits and gives a discount to the farmer, or you can just say, you know what, I, I'm gonna talk to an investor who needs 100,000 uh, tons of, of CO2 per year carbon credits and, and let this person buy or, or pay us for a factory and <laughs> we build a factory and every carbon credit that is generated from that factory goes to this uh, group for instance. I mean, it's, it's all in flux right now. We can see maybe it's gonna even be a mix of that in the end. Uh, we can also think of, of, of doing what you would call carbon as a service in soils, meaning you do a promise of a certain level of carbon and you, you uh, um, get a, something like an annual fee for that. And by doing so, you, you monetize the carbon credits that you get by doing the service of keeping or increasing the carbon levels at a customer. So there are many ways that we are right now, as, as you can hear, we are right now in this brainstorming phase of what are we going to do with this aspect of Ruby Home that is really exciting and, and that we are putting in place. So there's actually a world where instead of farmers having to pay uh, for Novi Hume, they may just get Novi Hume knowing that they'll get paid back and be able to pay you from a stream of carbon credits in the future. 
So it's a bit like energy savings, right? Yes. You know, you can often get the, the capital equipment um, funded off balance sheet and you pay back the investor um, from the energy savings that you accrue over a certain number of years. Similar concept. Exactly. But rather than actually requiring the farmer to make an investment, it's a way of actually freeing up cash flow for them um, and still getting to, to, to fertilize uh, their soil. Yes. I, I think one, one aspect that uh, is really important in this equation is, is what is the price of CO2? That will play a huge role in this, in this, in this business. Um, at today prices and that our today's uh, production costs and all that, it doesn't fit yet. But quite clearly, you see the trend. I mean, it's, it's the, the CO2 would go up. I mean, I think there is no doubt on that. Um, and therefore, you can see that this model in the midterm will be uh, um, the model to go. Yeah. Or a model to go. I don't want to promise that too much. I'm, I'm always very careful about this. Um, what, what is for sure is that you can see that by having this kind of out-of-the-box models and new models for products like Novibum, you will be uh, uh, creating a, a kind of a leverage effect on, on, on fixing CO2 in the soil, which is the end game. Right. I mean, because we're excited about Nobi Home in, 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 in what we are doing with it and all the effects that are great for the farmers and, and, and the plants and all that. But if you think in the longer term perspective in what we talked in the beginning, what is really driving us? The fact that you're moving the needle and, and you can move the needle only if you have acceptance and having, having a market depth that is really at the planetary scale. And so this kind of out-of-the-box models that are creating a certain service around carbon, for instance, those are the ones that we think in the end will be the models that will uh, um, achieve. Yes. It's like soil becomes an asset because it becomes this, a stock of carbon yeah. that has a value. And so the more you build up your, your stock of carbon, the more valuable your agricultural soil as an asset is. Exactly. That's exactly it. I think there will be, at least in my now uh, early days of, of learning about how all these carbon credits uh, markets work and all that, um, there will be a need for some adjustments on, on that level too, to get the right type of programs that are done for this kind of products. But I am quite optimistic that this is something that in the next few years, and we're talking really a time horizon of, of three years mostly, um, all this kind of, of topics will be addressed properly. And, and so you have the chance of having Novi Human and, and similar products that are doing this kind of work in the soil being more widespread and as, as part of a service um, for the farmers. You know? Now, of course, to take full advantage of that, it's time for growth. So tell us about how you're now going through that S-curve from proof of concept, getting the initial buy-in from the farmers and the distributors to going large scale, not just in Germany, but the US and you know, globally. Mm -hmm. We spent the last few years doing a lot of our homework with farms, right? To the point that now this year, we're going to be basically sold out on the product. We have a, a pilot plant in Germany that we're very proud of because we could prove uh, very well with uh, a production of 1,000 tons roundabout per year that we know how to produce this product continuously in a very economical way. 
So we tick really all the boxes. We have the farms, we have the distributors, we have the data. Uh, we are now sold out, so the next box. And, and we have also um, the first offtakes where customers are uh, distributors telling us, I mean, we intend to buy this much thousand tons from you in the next in the next few years and so on. So we have all those boxes ticked. Now really is the, the, the last step, it's it's uh, really the scale up is to big, build a, a big factory here, yeah, and and um, serve the customers, serve the market and, and use that as a as a nucleus for further factories worldwide, either our own or, or licensing or joint ventures. We have all kinds of discussions going on on that uh, front as well. But I mean, in the end of the, of the day, Adrenal is really about scaling. That's where we are. That's what's in front of us. And that's what we want to do so that we can serve this market and, and again, move the needle. Yeah. Yes, and that scale-up is so important. And a lot of people are looking at this sort of 10-year window, 15-year window that we have to make a big impact uh, on climate change. And I think it's always important to remember it's not a linear process. Um, you don't get to that 50% reduction in 10 to 15 years in, in a straight line. <laughs> it is very exponential. Yes. The hard work that you've done now to prove the concept, to make sure that there are no unintended um, you know, detrimental side effects of, of using a product like this. You've shown how to integrate it into a farming system. You've built out you know, the, the basics of a, of a supply chain uh, and a distribution and marketing model. This then you know, may not show up in the statistics of carbon captured or amount of regenerative agriculture deployed. But if you're able to go through the scale-up process and you know, really get wider adoption, in 10 to 15 years from now, you wake up and you think, wow, actually, there was uh, you know, millions of hectares that were brought under, under this model, and it's having a huge impact. So we need to be patient, but the scale-up is, is the key. So um, what, what are you hoping to have achieved, let's say, a year or two years from now um, on this journey? Absolutely. I mean, we clear idea that in two years' time we have our first uh, fifty to one hundred thousand tons factory up and running. We know how to build it. We have all the partnerships. We have even the land here waiting for us. It's only a matter of now getting the the, the finances together. We are having, as as you can imagine, a lot of discussions going on with investors, and 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 get it done. Get it done. Get it out. Get it into the into the hands of the farmers and the hands of the distributors, and and from there really scale beyond this scale. 100,000 tons is, is for us right now a big scale. But again, in the large scheme of things, that's nothing. It's a small thing um, overall. And now looking to the 10, 15 years from, from a timeline, as, you, as, as, as you're mentioning, we really want to be producing, selling, and, and positioning millions of tons of this product in the market, preferably everywhere in the world. The more, the better, because it's exactly the point of making sure that we get as much carbon in the soil as we can. Fabulous. Well, Andre, I wish you the best of, of luck with your endeavors. Uh, the world needs your product. The world needs uh, success and adoption of, of agri regenerative agriculture. So thank you so much for your time on the show today. And um, hopefully we can touch base uh, in a few months uh, or a year or two and see how you're getting along, how the market's evolved. A pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Andrew. It was really a pleasure, really wonderful uh, speaking with you. Um, and, and 
really being able to showcase this and, and talk a little bit about our passion that we have here. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode of Impact Unicorns, don't forget to rate and review this show by scrolling down and clicking Rate This Podcast. And join me next week as I talk to more inspirational entrepreneurs building the next generation of transformative companies. Thank you.